Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by my other company, MediaBytes.com. MediaBytes is a site dedicated to helping creatives quickly and easily get up to speed on various topics, including marketing and business. And one of the products we offer on the site is called Essential Web Marketing for Photographers. This course contains over 50 videos that explain just about everything you need to know to be successful in social media today. Now, the course normally retails for $147, but for the next week, you can grab it for just $97 using the code TWIP. So just head over to mediabytes.com slash store and use the code TWIP to get a full $50 off the Essential Web Marketing course. This week on TWIP, a discussion about self-publishing for photographers and why you should care. We talk about that with Mr. Daniel Milnor. He's the photographer at large from Blurb.com. It's Friday, December 28th, 2012, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. I'm recording this week's show during that weird window, or at least weird here in the United States, that sits between Christmas and New Year's. Most companies around here are shut down or at least operating with a skeleton crew, and many folks are spending lots of times, rightly so, with their friends and families, and TWIP is no different. Most photographers and co-hosts are displaced this week, so rather than make folks commit to doing our show, we thought we'd give everyone the week off, and instead run this fantastic interview I did with Blurb's photographer-at-large, Daniel Milner. So, before we run that, what's the big deal about digital publishing? Well, digital publishing has been on my mind personally for several years now, but I think it's um, this upcoming year, 2013, it'll be, for many people, the tipping point with regard to shifting our mindsets, not so much away from traditional publishing, but rather a shift to now include the many digital ways we can now also publish. Now, these ways include ebooks, apps, online, YouTube, and of course, print on demand physical books. Now, the publishing tools are here and only getting better. Like, for example, Adobe's pushing hard with the uh, the digital publishing suite to give creatives the ability to easily publish an app, a d- well-designed, beautiful app directly into the Apple App Store. Squarespace, as we've been talking about throughout this year, makes it really easy to, easy to create and structure an amazing website. YouTube on the video side has lifted the limitation on videos or the time limitation on videos that you upload. And then companies like Blurb, like we said before, are making creating bookstore quality printed books easier and faster than ever before. But with democratization, sometimes comes anarchy or analysis paralysis for some people. And with all these tools at our disposal, how do we decide exactly what to focus on? And then there's, of course, the stigma associated with self-publishing that basically says, if you can't cut it with a real publisher, then go the DIY route. So 
There is some truth to that and and some fiction to that. We're going to explore that in this interview. But overall, things have changed. The basic message is things have changed for the better and continue to change. And in this interview, Blurbs Daniel Milnor and I discuss the pros, the cons, and the challenges facing photographers thinking about going the self-published route. Enjoy. All right, a uh, special treat for you guys. I have sitting in front of me, virtually, <laughs> on the other side of the computer through Skype, is Daniel Milner. He's um, he's the photographer at large, coolest title in the world, at a little company called Blurb. So Daniel has agreed to come on and chat with me about the sort of the state of digital publishing as it applies to photographers today and just sort of, sort of wrap a bow around it and so I, we can get our brains around where things are, where things might be going, and how what Blurb's role in all that is. So, Daniel, welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, you asking me to be here. Oh no, it's my it's my pleasure. So, uh, let's just jump right in. So, you who who is Daniel Milner, and and what? How did you cut your teeth in sort of this image making world? Wow, you have to go back a long time. Uh, I got into photography in the late eighties. I graduated from high school in Texas, and I ended up going into a three-month uh, merchant marine program. Oh, wow. And uh, while I was on the ship, we were traveling around South America, and there was a guy on the on the ship who was the actual photographer, the official guy. And it was the first time I ever really was able to watch a real photographer work. And it sort of planted a seed. I didn't think anything of it, but a few years later, photography really came back to me in a big way. And I ended up studying photojournalism, getting a degree in it, and then uh, was a photographer for basically the last somewhere between 20 and 25 years. Nice. nice. And I started as a newspaper guy, worked in newspapers for a few years. I did magazine work for four or five years. And then I actually worked for Kodak for, I think, about four and a half years. Mm -hmm. Wow. Then I went back to being a photographer for another 10 years. And now I'm uh, happily at Blurb. Nice. That's cool. Wow. So you're uh, you're living the dream, man. You're definitely the photographer at large. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm very fortunate. This is. This. It turns out this has been by far the most interesting job I've had. Um, granted, I haven't had a lot of jobs outside of photography, but the blurb job was uh, very much a surprise to me. Uh, one that that asked me to do it, but secondly, the perspective that it's given me on the industry. It's very different from being a photographer. I, I basically have a much higher broader perspective on what's going on in the creative world. So it's been a real education for me. And that's, that's what I want to dive into. That's, that's what I wanted to focus this interview on just more, like I was saying in the, the beginning there, just the state of digital publishing and we off camera, before I click the record button, we, you and I were talking a little bit about how there's this perception at least, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. There's a, I see it. There's this perception of when you want to become a publisher or not a publisher, but when you want to become a published photographer, you want to you want to write a book or create a coffee table book or whatever, the traditional route was to go th- go through a normal publisher, like, you know, name your big publisher, um, convince them that you are worthy to for them to take the time and give you an advance, and then all the stuff that goes along with that. At the end of the road, when you have your ISBN number and all that magic, you are a published author, and you can now say that, and you can, you know, um, and the, there, there's a certain amount of cachet that goes along with that. And then conversely, if you if you self-publish, then, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, there's a, I don't know if it's a stigma, but it's just a different kind of perception of a photographer that's self-published versus one that, that did the top hat and cane dance in front of a, you know, a big publisher to get them to, to sign on. So can you like paint a picture from your, from your standpoint? What is, am I right? Am I wrong? Am I off base? 
No, I think stigma is a really good word. I, th I think it, it, it fits. Um, I know for me personally, I went to photojournalism school and I was taught that, you know, the definitive statement of being a photographer or making it as a photographer was not getting published in a magazine or anything like that. It was getting a book deal. Right. And consequently, still to all fast forward all these years later, that is still a, a powerful intoxicant to photographers, you know. And traditional publishing, even though I work for Blurb, I absolutely love traditional publishing. I love print-on-demand. I love all the new technologies, and I also love handmade books. Uh, yeah. The idea behind Blurb was never to replace traditional publishing. It's, it's too augmented, and it's a very different tool. But the, the getting a book done with a traditional publisher can be a really fantastic thing. It can really launch a body of work. It can launch a career. Um, but there, I believe that there's an upside and there's a downside to it. You know, there's a 18 month to two year process typically of when your book goes into a traditional publisher and be, due to the economics, the current economic situation, it's very difficult. And photographers, I mean, not photographers, publishers are actually probably not going to be able to publish a lot of the work that they would like to stri strictly based on, uh, the current economics. Mm -hmm. And I also think that what, what's interesting is it, it's still a very powerful tool. And if, if you're able to do this as a photographer to get the right kind of deal and have a traditional publisher do your work, it's a great thing. Publishers have a very specific, uh, actually several specific things that they do very, very well. And uh, like I said, if you can get a deal with them, it's, it's a great thing. If you don't, the great part about today is that you have all these other options. You have yeah. companies blurb you have ability to market and advertise your own work you have your ability to build your own database of people build your own audience and that's a really powerful thing back when i got out of school in like two, uh, actually 1992 i didn't have anything i had a landline telephone that was it yeah. so i had no ability to make a book a magazine an ebook i had no database i had no computer i had no cell phone i had no email i was completely on an island so today what's interesting is as a photographer, you can do literally any project that you want to do, regardless of how commercial, non-commercial, crazy, you know, anything you want to do. And based on the current tools, you can still do it. You can market it, advertise it, sell it. Or if you do something that's more commercial, that makes sense for a traditional publisher, you can go that route. So what what, what are photographers giving up by, by self-publishing? So you mentioned... You mentioned there, there, there's a lot of things that publishers, traditional publishers, do well. Yeah. What are those things, and where, if if a photographer decided to go the self-publishing route, where would he or she have to bone up on skills in order to sort of fill in the gaps that are missing from a traditional publisher? Well, I think there's a couple of myths that sort of float around about illustrated books. So when we're talking about publishing, we're not talking about publishing wordy books or, or books of text, whether it's literature or poetry. Last year in the U.S., there were 350,000 wordy books published and 750,000 uh, wordy books self-published. Hmm. Illustrated books are a completely different animal. Most of the time, illustrated books do not make money. A lot of the books that are done in the illustrated world, the photographer or the publisher or a combination of the two has to go out and get funding to actually pay for it. Yeah. So publishers are good at getting funding. They're also good if they find a body of work that they think they can market and sell or they think that it's important and needs to be published, they can get their design team around it. They can get their marketing team around it. And also, very importantly, they can get their distribution team around it. So those are things that publishers do really well. Uh, years ago, I had a body of work that I took to traditional publishers, and I got a really warm reception 
but there were many confusing questions about who the audience was, where it should be published, how many copies, what, you know, there were all these things that frankly I couldn't answer. I was completely unprepared, but traditional publishers do those things well. And if that's critical to the success of your project, then that's why publishers are, are extremely important. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about quality, right? So, um, you know, I have, I'm looking at my bookshelf over here and I'm, I'm accustomed to a certain, you know, there's mostly paperback books in there, but I'm, I'm, I'm accustomed to a certain sort of feel. I know when I pick one up, what I'm going to, what the pages are, the weight of the pages is going to feel like, I know what the cover is going to feel like. All that stuff. What what are the differences with a blurb book versus just one that comes from a, you know, I'm going to pick off the shelf in Barnes & Noble? Well, I think there are some differences, but I think the, the gaps have really changed. In fact, in some cases, I don't really see there being much of a gap. Traditional publishers, obviously, if you're going to print offset, you have a variety of options that uh, a company like Blurb can't do. However, in the past couple of years, Blurb now has all kinds of different offerings in terms of materials. So we've got Mohawk heavyweight archival fine art papers, both a coded and uncoded version. But oddly enough, uh, what I'm learning is that the materials in the book, even though depending on the, the book specific and the project and the sort of look and feel, those materials are really important, but it works both ways. Mm-hmm. So you have books that are unbelievable art objects in themselves where you've got beautiful paper and it's really heavyweight and really thick. And then you have little tiny books like this printed on 60-pound newsprint, which was never, ever intended for photographs, and yet this book is very important, and it does well. So what I'm learning when I look at the book collection that I have now is I'm buying fewer what I'll call monograph-style books, and I'm buying far more art books, which are made from newsprint, uh, all kinds of handmade papers. They're things that were never intended. They're never intended to replace the monograph, but the diversity of what we're seeing in the publishing world is now it's greater and wider than it's ever been. So, you know, yes, we make those products. If you want a heavyweight, more traditional style book. And we also make all these funky things that you can make little cool, simple art artifacts. So let, let's, let's talk about, um, so the, the evolution of books, right. Or I don't know if it'd be an evolution or, or the sort of spreading out of how content is delivered. There's this thing out there called, iPad tablets and Android tablets. Uh, you may have heard of them. You know, <laughs> There's, it's a fad. It's a fad, just like the internet. Don't worry about it. So, so uh, where where does that fit in in your mindset? You know, from a from a blurb sort of person that works in the trenches at blurb. Um, there's this, this sort of movement towards a lot of people are saying, "Hey, I'm going to forego." like terrestrial or atom based publishing totally. And I'm moving directly into electrons. I'm going to, I'm going to put an app in the app store. It's going to be my work or I'm going to make an iBook or I'm going Kindle, whatever. How do, are you guys, are you guys watching that? Are you going to play in that space? Are you placing all your chips on traditional publishing in terms of printed words on the paper or images? No, Not only are we watching it, um, we're definitely playing in the environment. And in fact, on October 2nd of this year, we launched a rich media ebook tool, which as far as I know is, is a very unique product in the world of, of ebooks. So we now have the ability, you can make a physical book or a physical magazine, and then ultimately make a rich media version of that, which includes audio and video files. So blurb was, was not only watching, they were pioneering uh, in many aspects of, of what's happening. I think that that space is still very new. I think there's a lot of questions about it, 
there are a million ways of using those tools right now. So I see it as a, as a supplement and an addition in, uh, in the publishing world. I don't see it as a replacement. I think that there's a demographic of people that prefer the what we'll call dead tree version. Mm-hmm. Or I just heard that on in the, at the Boston Book Fair. Somebody referred to it as the dead tree version of the of the product. I love print. I love paper. I love the tangibility. But at the same time, I have an iPad. I have a phone that I can look at things on. So it's it's a it's an addition. And I think as a photographer, the great thing is you based on whatever project you're working on, you just pick the tools that you think are most appropriate for the project and then use those. I'm not a line in the sand guy. I've just seen from the from the moment the digital revolution started, there's a whole demographic of people that are line in the sand people. You know, it's yep. the okay, the digital cameras arrived, film is dead. Mm-hmm. Well, I I first heard that line and expression. I heard that in a parking lot in Los Angeles 17 years ago. Yeah. So Film isn't dead. It's still completely viable. There's still a lot of people using it. So I see it the same way. Print books are not going to go away anytime soon. And they, they're a very different experience. So I just got my sister. This is a little sneak peek here. My sister is probably not going to be listening to this. Let's hope because I don't want to blow it. But I just bought my, my sister a, uh, a Kindle Fire. Mm-hmm. So my sister's gone completely. I don't think she buys paper books anymore at all. And I do. I buy tons of them. I, I much prefer it. However, the way that I look at this rich media thing is it's a supplement to what I'm doing with my physical products. So I use it as a behind-the-scenes tool. I record audio now when I'm in the field. I have little films made that I can incorporate because what I've realized is the, the rich media or the ebook sector, in terms of looking at a project, it will bring you an audience that is unique to that platform. Yes. So, uh, it, like for example, if I publish a magazine and I – it at a hundred copies, hundred physical copies of the magazine, and then I have an open edition of the magazine in electronic form. Those will bring me two very different audiences. They're both completely viable. They're both equal. They're just different. They could be different in age. They could be different in income. They could be different in ethnicity. It just depends on where people are coming, and that's the great thing. Is right now the project that I'm working on right now. It's in five different formats. Wow. Isn't that great? See, that that's the thing. I am I'm so happy you said that because I, I hear from a lot of photographers and and you know, amateur and pro, and it seems like there's this this thing that gets stuck in photographers' mind that is binary. It's either or. It's you know, like the latest thing I've heard was the iPhone is gonna replace the DSLR, or mirrorless cameras are gonna repl- replace DSLRs, or remember before it was JPEG or or RAW, and then it was Nikon or Cat, you know. There's this or word that photographers need when it could just as easily be and, (laughs) you can pick the right tool, you know? Yeah, that's what I've I've never really understood that. I I don't know why that we want to make those, you know, lines in the sand and say, okay, now that we have this, then we're never going to need X, Y, and Z. I, I just don't see it that way. I think if you look at the most talented people out there, they look at what tools are in front of them and they find interesting things to do with them. Yeah. You know, at Blurb, I, I talk to a lot of photographers. I run into a lot of photographers. And I've been guilty of this at, at certain times as well, where you look at what a platform offers and you say, well, you know, if they had X, Y, and Z, then I, then I would use them. The other photographer says, okay, what is it? What are the tools? Okay, I'm going to make something. And those people are the ones that are making all the interesting work. Whether it's Blurb or they're using a new camera, a new platform, they test it, they use it, they figure out what they like and don't like, and they keep going and they keep making stuff. Yeah. And I think that's really it. Photographers, we are a part of the creative world. But yet at the same time, 
I see a lot of conformity in photography. I see people doing the same thing, and I, and I, I don't think we should. I think people should take the tools that are available to them and go as far with it as they possibly can. Make things, experiment, test, try things out. And obviously, we're living in a 2012 world. It's a very different place. And as artists, we can do whatever we want. We don't have to make apologies to anyone. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's that's salient. And you know, I see a lot of a lot of people work forwards instead of backwards. And what I mean by that is they'll especially amateur because the the main bulk of the audience on this week in photo is the advanced amateur photographers these are really highly competent like better than pros in many respects they just don't make a lot of money with their photographer they do it because they love it um but a lot of people will say okay i'm gonna i see a shot that daniel made i want to do something like that and then they'll work forward from there instead of saying you know in my mind's eye i want to make a, a shot that looks like this and then working backwards to, okay, in order for me to do that shot, I need this kind of camera. I'm going to shoot this. I need this kind of lighting, you know, or another way of thinking is a, a lot of people will say, okay, I have these widgets. How do I assemble them to make something cool? <laughs> you know, instead of saying, here's something cool I want to make. What widgets do I need to make it? You know? Well, you know, I think there's a couple of things that get lost today. So I think there's a certain level of intoxication with technology. Mm -hmm. And I think people equate the technology with photography. And I don't see that those, those being really that, that there's not that strong of a relationship there. Obviously the tools that you're using are important. However, one of the hardest things to figure out as a photographer is who you are. And, and vision is a word that's thrown around all the time and it's taken for granted and people use it to market and promote themselves in it. And, and it's a, it's kind of a slippery slope, but vision is very, very real. It's how you can open up a book or see an image and recognize immediately who made that photograph. You know, I can, I can see, open up a magazine, see an image and say, that's a Salgado picture. That's because Salgado has a vision and it took him a long time to figure out what that vision is and then how to realize it. So I think sometimes with advanced amateurs or prosumers, you know, people are like, okay, I've got this equipment. And they spend their time getting the equipment, but they don't spend enough time experimenting, testing, playing, and really figuring out who they are. Mm-hmm. It took me, I'm not kidding, this is, you know, maybe this is not a good testament, but it took me 10 years of working full time as a photographer, literally shooting almost every single day for 10 years to yeah. figure out who I was. And the only reason I actually figured it out was I quit photography. So I had worked as a newspaper. I'd gone to photojournalism school. I had worked at the news- in the newspaper world. I'd worked in the magazine world. And I was shooting this magazine work, but something in the back of my head was saying, you know, you're not getting where you want to be. You're, you're getting assignments from good magazines, but the work that you're producing is I'm not in love with. In fact, it was work that I didn't even want to put in my portfolio, even though it was running in these magazines. So I had an opportunity to take a job with Kodak. And the first thing that Kodak made me sign was a conflict of interest letter. Mm-hmm. saying that I would no longer do assignment work. And I signed it immediately because I thought, you know, I'm not going to find what I need to find in the magazine world. So I quit, and over a period of four and a half years, I sold off all my equipment except for one camera and one lens, and that's all I want. I went out in the field, and I learned who I was. Wow. And at the end of four and a half years of shooting my own work, I finally looked at what I had in front of me and said, okay, now I get it. So if you're a prosumer and you're new to photography or you've been sort of in and out of it for a couple of years and you're changing your equipment all the time and you're on that sort of technology treadmill, you're not going to get there. It takes really focusing. And I think the key ingredient is critical thought. It's looking, taking the time 
to print what you've photographed and then studying it mm-hmm. and saying, why does this make sense to me? Because you can go online and copy what other people are doing, but ultimately you're going to be copying what other people are doing and you're not going to find an original voice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to call that, which you mentioned the, uh, the treadmill. I like to call that Tarzaning, right? So you're like swinging from new device to new device, never really having, holding one long enough to get to know it, but Hey, there's a new camera. Oh, there's a new phone. Oh, a new tablet, you know, shiny object. And you just keep going. Never really be kind of a nomad, right? Never really planting your, your roots anywhere. I teach a couple times a year. And one thing that I've noticed with a lot of workshop students is that they, they're, completely dominated by their equipment because most of it is relatively new to them. Mm -hmm. So when they're in the field, they're spending a lot of time focusing on what's in their hand and you can't do that. You have to focus on what's in front of you. You know, you should be looking at things, the light, the timing, the composition, this tool should be something that you don't ever have to think about. And I taught a workshop once and I was showing a, a complete take from one shoot. So the first image I shot to the last image. And I said, before I started, I said, look, I shot all of this with a Hasselblad and, a, and an 80 millimeter and Tri-X. Every single picture you're going to look at, I shot with the same thing. And about 10 frames in, someone says, hey, what did you shoot this with? And I said, a Hasselblad, 80, and Tri-X. Okay. And I said, hey, by the way, everything I'm going to show you, same thing. But like 100 pictures later, hey, what did you shoot this with? And I'm like, I, I've been shooting the same gear for so long. I don't ever have to think about my gear. I just think about, oh, a, a project, a place, a photo, and that's it. Yeah, it's it's like do you want to do you want to be a guy that that accumulates technology that can maybe make images or do you want to be an image maker that augments <laughs> and buys like Batman buying, you know, different things for his utility belts, you know, to yeah, help him exactly. do the mission better or is it all about the gear, right? That's so. right. Yeah, I love that. So let you know, let's close this off. I'm going to be respectful of your time. I know you got things to do, but I want to talk about money. Right. I know you thought I was going to get you off the hook before talking about money. So looking in the traditional world of publishing, um, the, the model is get an advance or first get, you get blessed and get approved. You get the book deal. You sign the contract, you get an advance, you write the book, then you get a percentage of book sales after that advance is repaid. And then you live happily ever after. So goes the theory, right? So, yeah. So, it, give me the, the the actual of how all that stuff goes, and then contrast that with blurb and and how money is managed. The money relationship with photographers is managed. Well, I don't actually I don't work in the traditional publishing world, but uh, you know, spending time with people who do, um, you know, I wish it was a scenario where everything worked exactly like like you said. In terms of the illustrated book world, I think there's a there's a difference between like a how to book. And a book of photographs or, you know, an artist book or, you know, a sort of monograph style book. Most of the time when I'm working with photographers, they're aiming for that monograph style, a book of images that is about them as an artist. Mm -hmm. That's a very tricky thing. Most of those books are not making money, uh, definitely not making a lot of money. And those books require funding up front. So the photographer's got to go out and the publisher's got to go out and they've got to raise money to actually publish those. So, you know, in some cases, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars to get a book like that done. Ultimately, the reward from that book, it may not come back in monetary terms, but it can potentially come back in terms of getting a gallery show, getting a museum show, making a statement for you as an artist. So you have to weigh what kind of return that book is going to get. Blurb is a very different system. Blurb is a system where you are in control 100% of the 100% control of the process. There's no upfront cost. You download a software, you use InDesign, and you design your book. 
you are also in control of the markup. So if a book costs you $5 to make, you sell it for $25, you keep the proceeds. I think where the, the blurb system works the best is when a photographer or an artist or a writer comes up with the idea of doing a project and begins to sell and inform their client base about the book long before the book is a reality. You're basically telling the story of the project and you're telling the story of the book as you go along so that ultimately when the book is released, you have an audience of people waiting to get it. If you have that, you can actually do really well. You can make money, you can sell books, and you can really exist in sort of your own ecosystem. And it's a very interesting thing. Right now in the publishing world, you see really significant authors going back and forth. They work with traditional publishers, and then they'll do a book on their own. And they'll go back to a traditional publisher, or they'll continue to do things on your own. I think everybody right now is feeling things out. But I think ultimately photographers, the way that they can help themselves is realize that realize the power that they have as an individual in today's world with the tools at their disposal. If you can build an audience of people who believe in you as an artist, and let's face it, they're not just buying your book, they're buying you as a person and as an artist. If you can harness the power of that community and they trust you and you produce great work, then you can survive in your own ecosystem. And that's a very interesting change in the paradigm of publishing. At the same time, traditional publishing isn't going away and, and self-publishing isn't going to work for everybody. It's a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and, and it's just, again, it's like another arrow in your quiver. I don't look at these two things as, as either or. I think that they can work really well in tandem. And actually, if you're self-publishing on your own, in some cases, it's an indicator to a publisher that you have an audience, that you are viable as an artist, and you can sell books. So they come to you and say, wow, you know, this guy's actually sold 500 copies of his last book or 1,000 copies or whatever it is. could be 100 copies. He has an audience or she has an audience. That's a great tool. So the, the, the cool thing is test it all, use it all. Okay, so, Daniel, we had a, a little bit of a Skype hiccup there. So if when you're listening to this, you hear some a couple of little jarring uh, transitions that was Skype doing some crazy stuff with the audio. But uh, I wanted to close this off and just sort of get an idea of where people can go to find out, you know, not so much, well, you can go to blurb.com to find out about blurb, but yep. more about you as an artist. And if you have any resources that you can share for people that are aspiring to become self publishers, where should they go? Yeah, you can blurb.com is a fantastic site. It'll teach you the technical stuff. It'll teach you about color management and the software and things like that. Um, I'm a very easy guy to find. You can find me. My website is called Smog Ranch, S-M-O-G Ranch, all one word. And that's my blog. I write a lot about photography. Um, I don't show a ton of my own stuff, but it's more about what it's like to be a photographer. I focus on other people's work. And I also do a little bit about blurb, but it's not a sales tool for blurb. It's basically things that I find relevant or, or helpful. Uh, you also have communities like on, on Facebook, there's a community called Flack Photo Book Network, F-L-A-K, which is run by uh, Andy Adams. And there's the Flack Photo Network and there's Flack Photo Book Network. And those are both unbelievable resources. I was on there earlier today. I pretty much every time I go on there, I find two or three things that I'm like, wow, this is something I need to know about. Uh, you also have places like the Indie Photo Book Library, which is a collection run by Larissa LeClaire out of Washington, D.C. And it's a place where you can actually submit your independently produced book to be a part of this collection. And, uh, you know, photo books are, are becoming, over the past few years, have really become relevant in a way that they, 
more so than ever before in history. So there's a lot of resources out there that are that are good. Awesome. Well, thank you, sir, for taking the time today to chat with me about this stuff. It's inspiring. And, uh, you know, hopefully if you're up in the Bay Area, look me up. We'll, we'll hang out and talk books. Um, I'm up there on Thursday, Friday of this week. I'm, up, I'm at the Blurb office a couple times a month. I'm coming. Let's, uh, let's hang out Friday or Thursday. That sounds good. We will email. Cool, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Anytime. All right. That was Mr. Daniel Milnor. He's the photographer at large over at Blurb.com. Now, to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, be sure to check us out at ThisWeekInPhoto.com. Also, if you happen to be a Google Plus user, please be sure to join our little community. It's little and growing um, over on G+. It's the TWIP community, or This Week in Photo. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at FrederickVan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap this week in photo is a pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.